Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of NHASED Spotlight, a podcast. This is where we discuss educational topics in order to be a catalyst for conversation to inspire excellence in teaching, learning, and leading. This is Jan Yost, the Executive Director of NHASED and your host for this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of NHACD Spotlight, a podcast. I'm really excited to be talking to our guest today, but before we introduce him, I'd like to introduce my co-host for this um, episode, and it's Dr. Randy Warmald, who is the Assistant Superintendent at SCU 46 and an NHASCD board member. So Randy, I understand you know our guest uh, really well and have known him for a while. So I thought maybe you'd like to introduce him. Sure, well, I'll give you a brief brief interview, a br- brief introduction rather, and, uh, and then let, let him take it from here. Uh, so we have a very unique um, guest today, and he goes by the name Professor Lyrical. And uh, we first met through Northeastern and some experiential education um, that was that was going on there at the time, and um, he came in just with you know this very um, just diverse background. I think is the, the best way to put it. Uh, you wouldn't think of him necessarily. Uh, what comes to mind when you think of a math professor? Um, and uh, if you get an opportunity to check out Professor Lyrical, you'll see it on all sorts of social uh, media channels, as well as a, a website that you can uh, gain access to some of the stuff if you, if you like what he has to say um, today. And he goes by all sorts of names, and he doesn't get offended uh, which one of them you use to call him. So whether it's uh, Pro or Professor Lyrical, or um, I'm sure he goes by Doc in some circles. So whatever... Uh, whatever that happens to be, but I'll, I'll put it off to him and let him introduce himself a little more. Hey, what's going on? That was pretty good. I appreciate it, Randy. <laughs> Thank you. Or Doc, I don't know if, uh, what you prefer yeah. as well. Yeah. And Jan, um, I, I hope I hope those are okay. But yeah, that, that was uh, that was great for me. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a rapper, I'm an MC, lifelong pretty much since I can remember. And uh, I'm also an educator. Um, and uh, as you said, I teach math. Um, I've moved uh, to where my wife is from. She's originally from Virginia. And it, it's funny, Randy, when you were talking about that next um, opportunity that uh, we met through at Northeastern in August of 2017, that was my last week actually at Northeastern. In fact, my semester had wrapped up because you know we finished in, in May, like most traditional um, universities. And then um, they, um, they knew I was moving and my going away party was like a week later. Um, from when we started i think it might have it might have actually fallen on a couple days after i think that ended and uh i moved my last day was the 16th of august and then on the 17th i moved to basically to dc i now teach at the university of the district of columbia um where i'm an associate professor here when i was at northeastern i was an assistant teaching professor of mathematics uh worked in a um first year cohort uh called foundation year uh for seven years uh, i was an amazing um uh, program still is a shout out to foundation year. Um, and I was also the, um, the only one, I believe I was also a, uh, graduate methods, um, mathematics, uh, professor as well. So I would do that, um, 
whenever they needed that course to be um, to be to be in effect. Um, if we had people that were trying to be uh, math teachers, which we, which we did, but not too many people went to Northeastern or still do go to Northeastern because they say, hey, I want to be a math teacher. I think I'll go to Northeastern. But um, but you know, there's this a lot of people in the education school, and uh, um, but we would try to take those people who were math majors and get them ready for math. So that's some some of my academic side stuff but the mc stuff has always ran parallel to that and uh i go by professor lyrical just kind of as a nod to both sides of the pendulum there um i do a lot of college shows and performances and a lot of traditional shows too but these days i try to focus more on a lot of the uh institutional kind of stuff where i usually speak and perform so that's it great so we're gonna you know sometimes these sort of podcasts are scripted and have a direction and we're just going to go for it and let things be organic and freestyle. Uh, and yeah, we're going <laughs> to freestyle exactly, and we're going to we're going to see what happens. So, I, my first question for you, um, you know, coming from a math background, both Jan and I have uh, math backgrounds, both yeah. math teachers, and we're generally viewed as uh, geeks and right. not not creative types. And and here you are with the, the math background and the math professor and in, in my mind, a top-notch MC. Mm, and uh, you know, all anybody would have to do is pop on House of Lies and, and mm, you know, here you. you go through with that. Um, so it, what do you say or what's your um, feeling about you know, the, the view that you know, us, us math folks <laughs> are very linear and you know, don't yeah. have that creative side and, and what, how does that change things? And, and how does that change what you bring, you know, to the classroom as well as the other side, you know, how do those two sort of, uh, your two worlds marry? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that's, that's something I deal with internally all the time. Um, and externally, when I even think about like, whether I'm going to teach a lesson, uh, one thing I should preface is in addition to at the university of district Columbia, I teach math but I barely teach math. I teach basically one course now a semester because I'm also, we also have a community college embedded within our university. And I'm primarily tasked with, I'm the director of faculty development for our community college campus for the, for primarily for the faculty there. And, you know, kind of like the role that I did at Northeastern where it was student facing with the um, preparing educators as well. It's somewhat similar um, trying to always think about, you know, how we come across in the classroom, whether it's, on the pedagogical end or curriculum based, but or what have you, but just trying to, I know internally, I'm always thinking about trying to break that stereotype, obviously, because it doesn't necessarily fit for me, but it's one of the reasons I get into education because unfortunately I, that stereotype was somewhat true for me, for the faculty that I had. Um, I, I went to um, Chelmsford High School. Um, I went to Lowell Public Schools and, and Chelmsford Public Schools, but I went to Chelmsford High School and that's obviously where you're, you know, kind of thinking about what you're gonna do in life and that kind of stuff. and. I was good at math and they were like, hey, you should, you know, think about being an accountant, you know, and you do this music stuff and it would help you with your get a business degree, whatever. And I was like, all right, cool. So I went to UMass Lowell. I got in my first accounting class and I was kind of miserable because it wasn't the kind of math that I really wanted to do. It was just pretty much pluses, balance with minuses, you know, debits and credits. And I was like, you know, pull out my hair, you know, and uh, that wasn't what I wanted to do. And um, so the marketing side appealed to me. So I did my, my bachelor's was ended up being in marketing and economics. I had this great economics professor who finally broke the stereotype for me because I had had a lot of um, faculty who were somewhat, even, even my, you know, I love UMass Lowell, but I, I'll say what my freshman, one of my freshman calculus professors was one of these back to you all the time kind at the board, just writing endless notes and not really doing much on discussion. 
kind of fitting into that somewhat traditional, you know, role we, we imagine of math professors where it's a cloud of dust at the board and they're just, you know, kind of giving you this high level formula. But I felt almost offended by that because it was like, I knew it was a weed out course. That's what they called it. That's what people told us. They were like, hey, Calc, Calc 1, Calc 2, that kind of stuff. These are going to be weed out courses. And I was like, what's a weed out course? I didn't come from a, you know, uh, education family or anything. I didn't have the quote unquote cultural capital piece, you know, and I didn't understand what this was going to be like. Right. Quite honestly, I didn't know what a master's degree was at that point, let alone, I thought doctorates were just for people that were doctors, you know, like, you know, so I had no idea what I was getting into, but I knew I could survive the math courses, but I was also simultaneously doing this music, doing this creative energy kind of stuff all the time, had records out in high school and into college, we were touring, doing shows. And so you can imagine trying to juggle that schedule. It wasn't like we were, you know, like on national tours or stuff, but we go, you know, do three, four shows at a time, then come back, that kind of stuff, go to radio interviews, store interviews, all this stuff while you're trying to juggle it. And so I needed someone who was, I don't want to say sympathetic to it, but at least appreciative of, of the other knowledge base that I brought into the classroom, you know, maybe let me utilize, you know, now I have the language would be like, let us do multimodal, you know, like I don't, I didn't have that language then, you know, so at the time it was uh it was unfortunate when i had my first instructor like that so i uh i once i did have the economics professor though that i really gravitated with uh shout out to balbeer Seahag. um i had him for like micro and macroeconomics and i loved the way that he brought it to life and um he kind of let me see the ebbs and flows of the world and that's what kind of spoke to me and the inequalities in, in the economy uh, both globally and domestically and it started to make sense. And then that really made me say, you know what, maybe I should do a math degree. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I could teach this someday. And I, you know, I talked to him a little bit and he's one of those people that I still don't think he knows the impact that he made on me. Um, and I should make a point to reach out to him and let him know, but, well, maybe, maybe he'll hear this, right? Shout out to Professor Valbiasiag. But, um, but he made an impact on me because he was really relatable, even though a lot of students didn't, you know, think of him in that light, you know, I, I did and I started showing up for his lectures, coming right down the front, like listening to everything he had to say. And I was like, yeah, I could do this teaching thing, I really think. But I didn't have the the gall to tell anyone because it just, it didn't seem to fit. So just to bring it back to your question, I still internally think about me as a student and like how I felt like they weren't speaking to me or they almost expected me to fail. Like, ah, this is gonna be some kid from Lowell or whatever. He's not gonna be able to hack the math. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna be just another, I just, they may not have been thinking that, but that's how I felt, you know? And I think other people were right there with me. I was trying to tutor people through their, their math classes and some of the harder classes, finance and that kind of stuff along the way so that we didn't lose people, but we did, we lost a lot of people. And now I'm faced with that same challenge. It's like, let's not lose students. Let's grab them, let's bring them into the fold. And I try to fight against that stereotype because I know it can be off-putting. So when, when you talk about uh, cultural capital, that hmm. you didn't have that cultural capital, what, what role do you think that's playing right now? We're seeing a, a big split in, you know, both, you know, uh, I think in education, partly because of the politics of um, yeah. the way things have been going through. And how, what, what part do you think that cultural capital plays and, and how can we help with that divide? I, th I think that, you know, we, we do a great deal as educators, we do a good job of always talking about at least, right? Meeting students where they're at. It's almost a buzzword, right? Or a buzz phrase, right? And it's like, when you try to define what that looks like, it, it, we come to these things of what rigor means in our head that are antiquated, right? Like, oh, that's not rigorous, or that's not academic, or that's not X, Y, and Z. All these like old images of what it means to be an educator, I think. 
And a lot of us, quite honestly, me included, when I went, when I got my first teaching job, I had no education experience in terms of, I didn't have any teaching background, save tutoring. I was too, I actually tutored at Huntington Learning Center just to see what, what I'd like. You know, they had me doing SATs right away when they saw how I could do that. So they were like, yo, this guy's going to be our SAT tutor, right? And especially on the math side. And that was it. I came in, I didn't have any teaching practice or experience. I had hip hop and speaking to crowds and that kind of stuff. And that's quite honestly where Lowell High School grabbed me. That was my first position. They were like, yeah, let's get the rapper guy, you know, who's got the ear of the local crowd. We need to, you know, maybe uh, get students to pay more attention to the classroom kind of thing. But, you know, when you think about meeting students where they're at today, I mean, you know, I text my students, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't have something like, oh, you can't do that or... And I face that challenge and I always think about it and you try to think of the, the pros and the cons, right? It's like, okay, are we babying them too much? Are we, are we putting them on a silver platter? But it's like our students have serious barriers. Um, at least a lot of the students that I've taught have serious barriers in their life to, to you know, that are, that are these um, inhibiting factors that would make education uh, more of a chore than it, than it may be for somebody who has it all together, you know? And so, uh, especially teaching in urban schools, I, I, you know, teaching at Northeastern and the foundation year program, foundation year program exclusively spoke to that. So let's go grab a freshman cohort of students who don't have that cultural capital piece that need that sort of high touch uh, freshman sort of full service year wraparound support kind of thing. And we see the results, the results are staggering. And that's when you're able to take kids from the actual community in Northeastern, which let's face it as Roxbury, you know, it's advertised as Boston, but the back door is Roxbury, the front door is Boston, the Museum of Fine Arts, you walk through the tunnel, it literally changes as you go through the tunnel, it's a crazy dynamic, and you're, you're in the hood, essentially, and it's like, but these kids are being forgotten, so Northeastern will, I love Northeastern, don't get it twisted, but Northeastern will tout itself as it's doing some remarkable job on diversity, that's not true, they're doing a remarkable job on international diversity, and a lot of us in education know why that is, right? I mean, that's, a, that's someone paying, paying the full ticket price for education. There's no financial aid to keep it 100, right? <laughs> keep it a buck, as we say in hip hop. Let's keep it honest, right? The real reason schools are chasing that dollar, they are in higher ed. They're chasing that dollar because it's clean money. It's easy money. And it's great to diversify. Yeah, wonderful. Have international diversity. Open up schools wherever. But what are you doing for the people that are in your own community where you've gobbled up? And I don't mean just Northeastern, where you've gobbled up all the property around, right? And so, you, you know, you see schools do this and then there's no community left. And then they can't bring in the students who would have like a 3.7 because Northeastern is bringing in students with like four twos as the average GPA and somebody who's an otherwise excellent student or had one of those roadblocks in their way. Maybe they had a 2.3, but they had wonderful promise, but they're, they're working a full-time job to, you know, support the other people at their home. So you have to meet your students, know, you know, what they're dealing with and to break that artificial barrier that we all have as educators. And I think that's meeting students where they're at. Go with them to some, like I'd play basketball with them in the gym kind of thing, just to meet my students. I, I play a lot of basketball anyways, but, you know, obviously hip hop, basketball, those kind of things. Yeah, that's going to maybe grab some people superficially, but it's more about the long-term, you know, communication line that you build. Like, what does your office look like? Is it a kind of place that students would want to walk into? You know, what you, I know you guys can see, but your audience can't. Stuff behind me, kind of what you're seeing, or if you go to my website, professorlyrical.com, it's an actual shot of my office. So when you walk in, it's inviting, it's colorful, there's a bunch of hip-hop stuff up, but there's also academic stuff up. So that students who are coming in with either interest can see, oh, okay, cool. Oh, I could do this. I can take in my love for something I have on the side and, and blend that with my career. Hey, maybe education is kind of cool, you know? And so I think those little tidbits are important. So you're exactly the kind of teacher I would want to have. 
All right. And you're, well, you're, you haven't had me yet, Brandy, but I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, Superficially, maybe. But, but uh, you know, or the way that I often um, talk about teachers is that what I want my kids to have that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were talking before, you talked about your econ professor and how that really was a sort of a tipping point for you. You yeah. went that direction. I'm, I'm sure yeah. you have the same thing. And, you know, as an MC, as a rapper, you probably had someone that you know, kind of got you, got you through some of that stuff. And how, yeah. Shakti. Shout how do you, out Shakti. all right. Um, so where do you rate the importance of that, that mentor, whether it's again, whether it's, you know, rapping or in the yeah. classroom or to help with that direction? It's, it's super important if you have it. I mean, if you have a great mentor, it's the, it's the highest up on the, up on the totem pole, but it's, but it's, it's nothing if you personally as the mentor, don't have a mentor as well you know it's like we all have to check ourselves you know so the importance of having a mentee for you for your own development and being a mentor for somebody else is huge but from a student perspective you know students are dying for that you know they're looking for that person that they can you know not just confide in because it isn't all about that that's that's important when the you know when relationships develop later on i mean my office quite honestly my everyone in my university knows this about me i report to the dean of academic affairs my office is the last office it's on the academic affairs floor, right? Which is the third floor in our building. And when you come in, I'm the last office before you walk into the, you open the glass doors and the Dean's right there, right? And so um, mine is sort of a stopping point for students and faculty alike. Because I'm also the director of faculty development, I get a lot of people that come in for faculty issues, right? And they wanna, they wanna talk. So in my role, I get to do that for both faculty, you know, shout out to one of my, one of my uh, professors there. I mean, he's in his late sixties and he calls me his mentor, you know, like, like, and I always laugh with him. I'm like, no, you're like my mentor in a way we are for different facets of our personality. You know, we'll talk about different things and, and, you know, he'll just come in and shut the door and just talk with me things that maybe he wouldn't necessarily say to the Dean, but he could say to me, you know, uh, where I'm sort of an intermediary, but it's the same for the students. The students will come. So I relish that role because I know how important it is. Right. Um, but if that's not in your personality type, I mean, you don't have to necessarily do it with like the open door policy kind of thing. There can just be ways in your classroom that you can, I think you can dedicate time to the end of each class to be that mentor at the end where you're letting your class out. I mean, heaven forbid a few minutes early. So you actually have that, as we know, as educated, right, that rush that you get at the end of the class when class is ending, it's either that or the rushing to get out the door. That's probably a bad sign. But, you know, when they, when they're coming up to your desk, they have a question, they want to ask something, you know, intentionally make that time, you know, and then find other times where maybe it depends on the situation, you know, high schools are a bit different. I, I taught six years at Lowell High School, I understand the difference. But trying to find times and spaces for our students, if you don't have one in your school, advocate to have one made a place where students can actually go that faculty could go to. And I know that's like, ooh, like faculty need their faculty office and the students have to have their spot, there needs to be more common spaces where they can both be. Or else it's always this, this is where the faculty is, this is where the students are. And, you know, I define my role as a very faculty, uh, excuse me, a very, a very student facing position because faculty development is, is for the benefit of the students. You know what I mean? It's, it's you, you, you're obviously it benefits the faculty, but at the, the net result is the student outcomes, you know? So um, we got to just think of those ways to thread that needle in our everyday life. So I don't think there's anything higher personally. Uh, but if you don't have it, then you, whew, man, if you don't have that, that mentor, you, you're going to need to find somebody outside of your school. And that's critical too. the community then becomes that role. If you don't have it at home or, or in your family or friends circle, 
you know, that community, the organizations, we, we can't sleep on the role that our organizations and our community can play because a lot of times those are the glue, so. Jen, I don't want to take all of the uh, no, questions uh, if you want to jump in. Um, no, no, I, no. <laughs> go, go for it, go for it. I'll, I'll jump in. Okay. Um, so when you talk about the faculty development role that you currently have, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously things are a little bit different at the, at the college level. But to me, it, it almost sounds, it feels kind of like a mentor program that you might have in a, in a mm. K-12 um, mm. situation. Mm -hmm. what, what are some of the things that, that you're in your current role that you think could help in a K-12 situation, that, that role of that faculty development uh, person? Hmm, that's a great one. Um, I, I see a lot of, you know, carryover, uh, like, like you identified, you know, um, first of all, being in a, in a community college situation inside of a university is so dynamic. It's like, you know, you open the egg and you keep going, there's more levels, right? And you, the nesting egg kind of thing. And it's the unique part is that I feel like a lot of our educators at the higher education level, right, still are just, you know, they're wonderful experts in their field. They just don't have necessarily that whole teaching piece. And I, I think like teaching laboratories, it's, it's very hard um, to come into a university and maybe change the entire culture, right? But you can start small. And I think when, when faculty are cool with you observing their classes, not in any kind of formal way, just to try to get ideas, you know, to try to think about, hey, what could we do to maybe, maybe I try to do it on a low threatening kind of level where it's like, I'm just kind of looking at the space, thinking about what you have to work with thinking about ideas of where we could cross pollinate between other subjects, which we're always trying to do in education. I know high schools do a lot of this. Sometimes there's a lot of planning that goes on about trying to think of these, you know, intracurricular ways, excuse me, ways that we can connect between, you know, whether it's, uh, I had an American studies class when I was in high school, I was fortunate enough to have an English class that met with a history class. That was my best class. I actually got to do a rap in that in my junior year. Um, that's really what planted the seed for me that education and hip hop would go together. Not necessarily that I would do them together, but I think when that kind of project, right, is sometimes foreign to us in, in higher ed, a lot of times in higher ed, we think, no, it's lecture, it's this, it's here's the material, learn it kind of, or else. I'm always trying to step it back to at least what I had in that high school experience about like, well, what can we do this sort of multimodal that would let your students come out and be you know, comfortable with, with doing something that, that expresses their, their interests. So when you ask, you know, faculty at high school, I, I think there's a lot of experience with that. A lot of the high schools that I've met, a lot of K through 12 scenarios where they're doing these interdisciplinary kind of things, but in higher ed, it, it's kind of, sometimes it's like, really? But it's not really that difficult to, to actually create. So for my, my faculty, I try to get them involved with our, the K through 12 in our area. We try to host events where we can actually have not just the guidance counselors, but the actual educators, welcome them into the university so they can meet and correspond with the one-for-one -one subject that you have. So it's not just in your school, it can be the counterpart at your local community college or university. Hey, come meet Professor Lyrical, whoever the professor is, Professor Plourd or Dr. Plourd, right? I teach math. I want to meet with the math counterpart. I got to do this in Northeastern too. When I was at Northeastern, we did this as a project as well, that we got to work with you know, our counterparts so that it's not the finger pointing that always happens. We're like, we, we know this catch 22. What are we going to say at higher ed? 
well, why didn't you guys prepare them better, right? And, and, and it, it, you know, you always see that finger pointed thing and then K through 12 is looking, oh, don't go to that university. Oh, they don't even support you, blah, blah, blah. And it's all this, you know, kind of stuff where it's easy when you don't know the people. It's funny what happens, just like we're talking about mentoring students, when you put a couple of people in the room that otherwise wouldn't be there together, a faculty and some students or one particular educator, do that with higher ed and do that with K through 12. And if you don't have that established in your local community, I think you're missing an opportunity so that you're not just sending them off that, you know, or it's not just a portfolio or a binder going or some electronic kind of way that we're trying to keep track, which we know is difficult, make that human connection. And, and that's for me, this, the easiest way to shore up and organically the faculty development parts will come about. You don't have to plan it. I don't necessarily have to say, this is what we're doing today, faculty. The faculty will plan that on their own just by naturally having that space to meet. So these, this idea, which is so big in hip hop, these spaces, right? Uh, whether it's a, it's a b-boy event, a breakdancing kind of competition kind of thing, an MC battle, whatever, these spaces where we do this, our community centers, this is where those bonds are developed. And what you see in the media for hip hop isn't what we know to be real hip hop culture. It's different, right? It's, it's a very organic, warm kind of environment in a true hip hop scenario. So I just take a lot of the same cues from hip hop culture and try to put them into, you know, the educational spaces as well. So you recently um, were part of the National Math Festival. And yeah. um, I know that, you know, it was the idea of, um, you know, the power of metaphor and sort of bringing right. hip hop and, and having people, you yeah. know, learn how you do it. I think you, you got some uh, some folks to do their own thing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, how important is are, are those sorts of things where, like, you talked about that space to, you know, in right. hip hop, which is really, you know, it's, it's some of the things that we can borrow from hip hop for for education. Um, so, when you have the opportunity to, you know, to reach out to folks in those sorts of things, um, you know, obviously it's, it's entertaining and it's fun, but it's, yeah, right. it's talking about the power and try, it's sort of melding those two worlds. And, yeah. you know, how do you go about doing something like that, particularly when you're trying to do it online, when you don't have yeah, people yeah, yeah. in front of you? I think the first thing is setting the, setting the tone, right? So like a lot of this has to do with, goes back to your first question, you know, breaking that sort of stereotype. It's, it's setting the tone that education should be fun. Right. It's and I know you know about this. I, I mean, I know your expertise and experiential teaching and learning. Uh, education is fun when it's relevant. Right. It doesn't have to be all fun jokes and partying. Just like me, I'm not emceeing in the class. I mean, like 90 percent of my class is a very traditional, you know, kind of subject matter being taught. Ten percent of it I might bring in the hip hop or it's how I speak. It's how I dress. It's how I talk. It's how I it's the vernacular I use more so than me coming in and go, yeah, I'm going to spit around today. You know, that doesn't doesn't happen too often. But I think these spaces before you go into a math festival and you say, okay, this is going to like the first question always is, is, well, how are we going to embed the math in that? It isn't always about embedding the math into the subject like that. The essence of hip hop is a lot more than just somebody rapping and so somebody doing DJ or somebody being a graffiti artist or someone being a B-boy. It's, it's the spaces that we share, the, the unspoken language, sort of that tacit dimension that we have as MCs where we know like, hey, this is the dominant animal in the room. It's time for this person over here, the one who's a little bit more passive, let them into the circle to compete, show their skill. These kind of unspoken rules that we have, like um, I, I could go on and on about that, but why I'm bringing this up is that when you establish first that education can be different than what you think it is, that it can be fun, it can be exciting. And not only it can be, it should be. 
And this is how I make it fun. This is how I make it relevant, right? But you're learning the same kind of materials as you'd be learning. I'm still going to teach you the Fibonacci sequence, right? I'm still going to teach you, you know, if, if we're, we're talking about Cartesian coordinate systems or whatever, or, or you know, differentiating functions, right? It's it's still me teaching you those same concepts, but I'm not doing it from the philosophy that education has to be stiff, cold, and hard. And trying to break that, you know, like, how can we make this fun? Yeah, of course you can turn it into a rap song, or of course we can take a rap song and think about, you know, what do those lyrics mean? We can do sort of basic low level kind of things. But when we're really threading the needles, when we're bringing ourselves into the course and we're like, this is, like you said, we're gonna talk organically. When I'm speaking truthfully and organically about a subject, my hip hop, piece is going to come right through. But if I feel I have to go in as just a math professor today, like if I change, like right now I have a hat on my shirt, whatever, I know people can't see me. But if I felt like I had to be Dr. Plored today, it's going to change your vibe. You know it, you know the difference of when you're wearing a suit or if you're wearing a baseball hat when you go shopping, the feeling that you feel in your body is different, right? You just feel looser. You feel like, oh, I don't have to be as scripted. So one of the the toughest things, I'm sorry to veer from this a little bit, one of the toughest things when, you, when you're teaching these methods courses is students are coming in like, okay, here's my curriculum, here's my lesson plan, and then let's get to the hip-hop part. How are you going to freestyle off of that on the first moment when the plan goes awry? We all know that as educators, right? The lesson plan is only so good as the off-ramps that there are in there, the, the opportunities for you to improvise from the natural curiosity that's in your classroom. So when I go into one of these hip-hop spaces, I've allowed space for the, the conversation to organically go. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's that mental preparation that, okay, first of all, I'm coming in as my authentic self. And because of that, I wanna hear what you have to say, what you can bring to the fold too. I know that it, from the experience of teaching enough, I know my intersection points where I can cleverly bring in the hip hop, sort of like, oh, this is a hip hop spot. Like I can bring in some hip hop here, but it's those organic pieces that are truly evolving just from you being your authentic self. So that doesn't necessarily work very well if you're not a hip hop person, let's say, and you're trying to put hip hop into your course and you don't have those kind of things to grab from. So I'm not advocating that everybody comes in and does hip hop, hip hop all the time in their stuff. Do what you do is going to be the thing that works, right? That's the whole key of hip hop, because if, if nothing else, hip hop is truthful, it's organic, and it's all about keeping it above. So I just wanted to... Um go in a little bit of, uh, of a different direction, um, pro. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about your webcast. All right. Because, <laughs> because you, you watching, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I gotta see, I gotta see if you're watching next week. All right, cool. I will. Oh. I'm excited for this question. No, I, I, you address so many different issues, so many multiple issues. So how does, how do you generate that? What, what mm. do you do to get that webcast going. Yeah, and I know yeah. you do it with Quo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so great question. So Quo was, uh, Quo used to go, he always says uh, his, his uh, he says uh, quotables over punchlines, right? I'm more of a punchline kind of person. He's more of a quotable, like, oh, that's a deep thought. He's like thought, right? He's, he, I'm a very specific when I come in on my rhymes a lot of times and he's very general, right? So that makes for a real nice mesh on our music, right? So when you hear Pearl Quo, that's what you hear. It's also what you hear on our show, whereas he'll paint a picture, just sort of a general thing. And I'll come in with some sharp angle to that about something real specific. And I'll call myself like a sniper. <laughs> like I come in, I say, yeah, but what about this? You know, and I really direct the topic a lot of times. So organically, when we're planning our show, it's really an out 
outpouring of us just doing what we're doing right now. We, because of COVID, we started working last summer and we would just be talking like this. Okay, what are we, what are we, what are we gonna do on this song? And we were saying, you know what? This would be amazing content. All the stuff that we're doing here, we should just, let's go public with this stuff. Like, let's just do a live cast, you know? And we just went on to Facebook, right? And just did it. And we did it a couple of times in this outfit that had interviewed me for their show before, which is a bigger webcast show called Hip Hop Citizen. They were like, we'd like to put that on our network. And we're like, really? And they're like, yeah, we, we were just trying to like have content to generate, like maybe throw it on our YouTube page kind of thing, let people know what we're doing. We're a new group, even though we've been rhyming for a long time separately. He he, he goes by Jay Cruz or Quocaine was his, was his previous name because the quotes are dope. Um, so he had come to one of my shows and we were like, yeah, someday we need to do this. And the someday happened because of COVID. Now all of a sudden we have a little bit more free time and we're talking virtually all the time. We're like, hey, let's put that on. So the show feels a lot like that. It's yeah, we talk for like an hour before during the week, you know, we'll say, Oh, what are we going to do this Friday? Oh, we're going to do next Friday. What about the Friday after that? Who's our guest? And we think about, you know, what the general topics would be, but it's really not that scripted at all. I mean, we'll say, Oh, we got to talk about Jason Tatum last week. He had 60 points. Like we, we can't not talk about Jason Tatum having 60 points. And it's the real life stuff that we like, you know? And for me, I'm thinking about, you know, like what's happened in, in maybe education circles, which I'll bring that into the fold. You know, it might be a, a social justice issue, you know, and I, I don't want to veer off too much, too many tangents here, but I'm like, oh man, we got to talk about the situation at Hopkins and oh, we got to check out what happened in, you know, New York city last week or whatever. So I'll throw those in as sort of the, the jabs and we'll let, we'll, we'll talk about those things, but it won't dominate necessarily. We'll centrally come back to what, what our guest is there to talk about. So we just do like 30 minutes before our guest comes in where we're just, we, we stay true to that conversation we're just talking talking the guest comes in then for like 25 minutes maybe and then the guest leaves and we're doing some more talking and then people who've been on previous shows call in so we have give them the information to to call through the show so we don't do it like 100 percent the public and that way it keeps it organic whatever's on their mind that's sort of the improvisational part of it and it just spins but they're usually hearing what we said at the beginning which is exactly how freestyling happens when you're rhyming in a cypher you're playing off of what's happening in front of you right you know what you want to come in on, you know, the vibe you want to come in on, you know, the, you might even have a couple lines that, you know, you want to say, but other than that, you're keeping it kind of, you know, open. And that's what we do at the show. Yeah. I love it because as I said, you address so many different topics that are relevant to today. Mm. Um, so it's awesome. And I really yeah, thanks. Recommend, I appreciate it. I recommend people listen. So, the Pro like, Quo Show, Fridays at 9 o'clock. There you uh, go. There you on the Professor Lyrical <laughs> Facebook page. Our, our YouTube, you know what we did for our YouTube because we're not big time like that? Yeah. If we, Our YouTube doesn't have an official name, so we just took a tiny URL. So we did tinyurl.com yeah. slash The Pro Quo Show. Oh. So we, we go live at... Uh, our, our, we get about 2,000 views a week, which for us is really good because uh, awesome. we do like no advertising we don't really you know it's not we yeah. don't you see shows that's their whole career right they do paid advertisements to have people on youtube we we just do what we do i put up a flyer a couple of days before and you know we tell the guests to share it and we're kind of cool with that if it grows bigger than that great i mean but we're the number one show on that network from just very organically doing that kind of stuff and that works for us. So if it gets bigger, great. Um, if not, we have fun doing it. It's it's a stress reliever for us, which hip hop is in general. And uh, that's so, yeah. important. Yeah, really. yeah, no, that's important for you. Yep. That, that's awesome. Absolutely, crazy times. We all need that outlet right now. So absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. Randy, I didn't know if you want to go. If you had another question, I kind of preempted you there. No, not at all. I think um, you know whatever sort of transition you want to make from here. If we want to, you know 
because um, we could do this all day, I'm sure. I know, uh, I know. <laughs> I know. And we are approaching like the 40 minute mark, I think, or maybe a little less than that. Um, so pro, if I may call you that. Uh, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. This was, this was great. Maybe we can do it. Maybe we can do it again. Absolutely. We might have to have you guys on the pro quo show, you know, like, or at least, <laughs> well, at least one of you. I mean, we might not be able to book you both on the same, same event. <laughs> oh yes. Our, our schedule. We'll, we'll take it. So. We'll take a deeper dive in education, which we're always trying to do. So maybe your listeners will have to check out for when uh, we have one, one or both of you on in the future. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. great. Appreciate All it. All right. Thanks All so right. much. You're welcome. Thanks. Take care guys. You too. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of NHASCD Spotlight. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And be sure to visit us on our website, nhascd.org.